This is part one of a two-part podcast. Hi, my name's Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash paulwheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash paulwheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. Okay, it's going. It's on. Woo! Yeah. So um, we're going to record a podcast here in a moment about... um, Batchbox, Rocket Mass Heaters, and why exactly they so seriously suck. And and Donkey Boo. is going to feebly attempt to defend them. Boo. And then uh, by the time we start, Ernie will be here, so it'll be Ernie and I ganging up on Donkey. I'm not sure where Erica's position is on this. But Erica's I'm the to- dark horse. Oh, okay. All right. I, I, I'm not sure I know either, but I'll probably figure it out by the time we get to. So Donkey and Ernie and Erica are here now. Uh, we're doing Natural Building Week. We've been working on Allerton Abbey, and the mission is is that Allerton Abbey, for uh, for five years, has not been complete. And so I think the last year or two, Allerton Abbey has been anywhere from 92% complete to 96% complete. And um, and now we are doing that last 4%. So uh, I was up there today, and uh, one of the things that just went in in the last day or two is the front door. So the front door was there originally, like in the first, the first couple of months of Allerton Abbey, but it was like... It was just like one by fours, and the wind kind of whipped through it. And uh, so now, uh, then, then it was two years ago, a door went up that was, and we were estimating it might be about 280 pounds. This is a, and and uh, and now there are five hinges holding that door, and the, the door um, got stuck for a little bit. But I I believe. And, and I'm really curious. I'd, I'd really like to get some people up there now that the door is in again. And I would, I would really like to, um, to have them open it and close it. But this is, this is something where I believe it's like art that you cannot see. It's, it's art that in a way you can't feel. It's, but just the, because it's a 280 pound door. That when you go to open it, it's like, oh, that is so cool. And it runs really smooth and lovely, I think. Yeah. It, oh, I do too. It's, it's very, it's very nice. And there's no latch on the door because the door is so freakishly heavy. It doesn't need a latch, but we did put a couple of little magnets in there to kind of hold it closed just, just to be sure. But it's uh, it's a freakishly heavy door, and and now uh, yesterday the estimate was 280 pounds. Fred's giving me a look. I'm just leaving. That's all. Do do you think that the? I mean, you and I picked it up once, and I'm kind of thinking that the most I might be able to pick up in my current health condition might be 100 pounds. And so I was thinking like the door might be 200 pounds. But then um, apparently it took four people to lift it uh, later, and and Donkey was heaving with all of his heave that he has. Well, I had half the door by myself for a minute there. Okay. And it was pretty much all the heave that I had, and I was losing my grip. 
And I would have dropped the sucker if somebody hadn't come and grabbed the other end to help okay. me out. I, I was going to say somewhere between two and 300, so yeah. everyone's right. Between two and 300 pounds. Everyone but, gets to be right. Thanks. But I, I, I do think that there is a beauty to the door that you cannot see. It's something, and it's not exactly like a feel as in a texture or anything like that. It's a, it's a, it's a feel as in an experience. You experience this door, and I, am I the only one? Am I? Maybe I'm waxing onto. I think it's very cool. I think it's a really cool door. I do think there's a risk that if you oversell how cool the door is, then even the people who might be inclined to agree with you will be disappointed when they actually experience it. It's, I mean, it's it's a lovely door, and it, it does have a nice heft to it, and I really like the sort of snick when the magnets shut. I think that's a really nice way to do it, and um, it's, you know, it's not as heavy as like a safe door or... or uh, you know, it might be up there with some of the bulkhead doors on some of the bigger ships, but yeah. and it know. doesn't run as smooth as like a big bank safe door. No, it doesn't have bearings. It's on sort of standard heavy hinges, like gate hinges or something. Yeah, five yeah. huge hinges. But, but it works really. It works really smooth. It does. It runs really smooth. Um, I think Paul mentioned earlier that he thought the magnets were a little butt ugly there, and I have to agree. So it would be nice to put a little something to kind of hide the magnets. A deuglifier. Like a nice piece of wood that sort of runs along the edge. I don't know. Does something cool, some detail. Yeah. But, I mean, I also, I do think it's kind of, since the building has so many huge posts and beams, it's also, there's kind of a, a coolness to how it's kind of in scale with the building. It's like a little over, it's not just heavy, but it's a little oversized. But I mean, the magnets well. that are there. I mean, it's one of those things like you only notice it when you look at it. They do look right a little out. bit like a line of little computer bugs. <laughs> <laughs> so. And they kind of all kind of grab the door. There's a few of them. And they kind of all grab the door at their own convenience. So it kind of goes like that. Like, it's, like like some, <laughs> it's like a zipper. It makes a zipper sound. Yeah. yeah. Like like the, the door has now been zipped closed. Yeah. No, I mean, for me, that's like the, the door itself is heavy. And so there's a little bit of an oomph as you get it started. And, and maybe you think that's the magnets. And then as you're shutting it, there's this little brrrr. And it's like, oh, that the magnets are a very small thing. You can still feel them. But it's like that it has very little to do with the door itself moving. So now this is the point where you defend your husband, as I point out, that as I was, as the you know, expressing what I wanted for this door, and the door was built. Ernie felt it was a really bad idea because somebody was going to stick their arm in there, and it was going to clip off their arm it's as the door closed. Oh, I don't think so. I mean, it feels heavy, but it's not that heavy. If there were kids playing there, and one kid slamming the door while the other one is halfway through, we're going to chop a child in half. As someone who grew up with four kids in the family, um, I found that the most dangerous part of doors was actually the hinge side. Yeah. And so it's probably not any more or less dangerous than other doors from the hinge side. But because it has five hinges and they're all fairly thick, there's actually slightly less space where a kid can get their fingers in than on most doors. So I'll I'll put out. It's it's like, yeah, don't shut your people in the door, and then you don't have to experience the tragedy that is door injuries. We had a bunch of kids playing, and they were running through the door and slamming it, running through the door and slamming it. And one of the kids had his hand on the door jamb, and another one slammed it. And it's a good thing the kid was, you know, a curtain climber because his bones were very flexible. 
because when the door slammed, it latched shut. And we had to unlock it, unlatch it to open it to get the kid's hand out. And if the kid was any older, it would have crushed all his fingers. I had the same thing with a car door where they had to get a crowbar to get yeah. it open when we went to the fair. It was really And as scary. I remember, we finished going to the fair after they crowbarred the door open to get my hand out. It was like, it was very, very painful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's important for kids to like do that with cupboard doors. My sister still has a scar on her knee from the like the closet door, you know, the two panel closet doors that have a hinge in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like don't play push me pull you with doors and um if you <clears throat> really want to leave your siblings behind, you have to run faster outside. <laughs> I I can't help but think that for kids slamming doors, I don't think a kid will be able to slam this door. I mean, a kid would have to, like, spend spend a little bit of time working it up to get it to the point of slamming it that somebody could get caught in it. But it has the really cool, heavy, like, pipe handle. I mean, I'm hoping no kids are listening to this podcast. Can we assume there are no kids listening to this podcast? No. No, yeah. Oh, people crap. play right. So, so like, when that uh, two-year-old kid was here, uh, his mom says, uh, what does Paul Wheaton say? And this little two-year-old kid says... Fuck, 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 fuck. Okay. Well, two years old. I'll just put it this way. There's no end to the things that kids can and have tried when it comes to door games. And it turns out that most of the games you can play with a door will hurt somebody sooner or later. And it's just a question of whether you stop before or after. Um, And this door being heavy might invite different door games than standard lightweight doors and really parents as far as I know have about the same opinion of door games regardless of the door. Well yeah. I, I do have <laughs> a see that's what I was trying not to say. That's what I was trying not to say. You didn't hear And there was grandma <laughs> swinging on the outhouse door <laughs> and there was grandma See this is the thing yelling, Dude, so there, don't quit your day job. Yeah. No, 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 that was perfect. That was. Really, kids start these games and the parents say no, and the kids think it's because the parents are boring and the kids have just invented fun. Keep your and fucking kids off my turns door. Turns out even your grandma knows about this kind of fun, and there's a reason <laughs> that she didn't do it until she was like just about ready to die. <laughs> and the reason why parents are boring is because we were kids once and we did it, and we got hurt really well, and we learned. Because yeah. that was su- dumb, and that sucked a lot, and therefore I'm not going to do that again. And I'm going to try to stop out, my child unsuccessfully like, to do that, too. You can just about control yourself well enough that everyone else has a good day at the fair after you slam your <laughs> fingers in something. But it's really hard for you to have a good day at the fair after you slam okay. your fingers in so something. It's just like, yeah. Don't don't have your kids swinging on my door, and uh, don't don't have your children be unsupervised so that they uh, lose arms and fingers and limbs around my artful door. I saw something worse than your door for having your own kids. Oh. Um. Uh, on my property. No, not on your property. Okay. On my friend's property. Okay. Um. So my friend is really into wool. Um. And there's this thing. I now I wish I remember the name of it. It's like a swinging thing. It's um, it's like the ultimate Carter. It has like spikes about that long, 
on, mounted on a swinging arm, and you put the sort of feed the, there's this little bar so you can feed the wool in from here without getting your fingers anywhere in range of this thing, and then it swings back and forth and pulls on the wool and, and, and like loosens Jesus it up. Momentum. But the guy that made this one, they're, they're handmade, and the guy that made this one always makes them with a lock. Like there's a couple of pieces of wood you can slide into pace, place and headlock it. Because it's like the minute that a kid finds it and starts swinging it with with these like two inch spikes on it, like it's just all downhill from there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> My mom had one cleaning of those. the blood out of there for a week. <laughs> My mom had one of those old 19 like 30s to 1950s washing machines with the ringer attached. Mm. And you would take your laundry out of the washing machine and stick it in the ringer, and it was motorized. And the ringer would pull, draw your clothing through. Uh-huh. And yeah, you never wanted to get your finger or a tit stuck in that ringer because it was not good. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's how they came up with tit the, the um, ringer. No, the um, what do you call them? Things where they scan for cancer. It's like oh, two certainly. plates. And it's kind of like that. Yeah. It's just like a mammogram. Yeah. <laughs> But it doesn't let you back out boob again. Smasher. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Which apparently causes breast cancer. That's what I've heard. Well, yeah. it's radiation. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck pictures. did you think was going to happen? Anyway. Um, All right. So the big thing is, is that for Natural Building Week, um, <clears throat> uh, the, there's there were two big things. There's the biggest item on the list, the most important and critical item. And item number two was to hang the door. Because... Because it's like if you're trying to keep heat in the house and there's a giant, because this is a giant door, um, and and so there's a giant hole in the wall letting air in, mm-hmm. and so there was there was that. But then the other thing was <clears throat> is that along the roof line on the uphill wall, then uh, there was air getting in, and it's kind of a complicated image to see, but. After six hours of conversation, we decided that the thing that we needed to do was peel back the roof so we could go and stick cob in from above. Yes. Our design estimates, you'd probably guess there was about eight to ten tons of earth on the roof that we would need to peel back in order to do this. It turns out that the earth that's actually on the roof is, what, roughly twice that? Uh, no, more like four or five times that. Okay. So, so, so there should have been, like, maybe <laughs> a foot to a foot and a half of dirt on top of the roof tops. At, at that, that point. point. And what we found was, like, four feet of dirt instead. Which was causing another problem, because when the water was landing on the, on the roof at that point, instead of heading towards the downhill side, which is the design... It was heading towards the eave. Right, and so we've, we've had like little tiny miniature trickly waterfall issues on that eave that shouldn't be happening on the upper side of the shed roof. Yeah, and so, when, so it needed to be it needed to be taken out and corrected to make the shape be correct so that the water will run the correct direction. And while we're there, we're going to peel it back. Only we got up there, and it's like we thought we would send five people up there with shovels. And and like in four hours, then it's like time to do surgery, 
and then put it back. Yeah, no, forget it. We got up there and we found out how much dirt was up there, and we got our butts kicked just finding out how much dirt was up there. And so the actual thought of taking it off with four or five people with shovels, it's like, forget it. We need to find an alternate route. It, it took us a full day to get to the point where we found out that it was looking like we could spend the rest of the week just removing and dirt and maybe putting, like, maybe we'd get part of the job done, but then how do we make it so that it sheds water? Right, and then we'd be done, and everybody would go home, and there would be the roof without plastic on it and no protection from the rain, and it would rain, and then the building would cave in because it would be a swimming pool up there and not, like, dirt. Right. So uh, we then thought, okay, we need something, some kind of piece of powered equipment. And the first thought was to go uh, drive our 14-ton excava- excavator over there next to the roof. But then it's like, well, I think that will be a- it would work, but the driver wouldn't be able to see the stuff that the driver would be trying to dig. And so it's like that's just not a good idea, especially if it's possible that the driver might accidentally put a bunch of weight on the roof with the excavator and it would be too much weight. And cave that turkey in. So it's like, okay, it's all right. So let's then, and then it's like, well, we could come around, come at it from the backside, but then it's kind of like, well, we don't want a 14-ton excavator getting close enough that it's starting to push the dirt around underneath its tracks to push walls in. And so we thought, nope. And so then we got the thought of like, what if we get a 32-ton excavator with an extended arm, and then it's coming at it from the backside? And then it could maybe reach all the way up, but getting a 32-ton excavator on short notice wasn't happening. Yeah, we found out that there were no 32-ton excavators available for the next week, let alone ones with a longer arm. However, there was a 27-ton excavator that would be available on Thursday. and Which is too late. Well, it would have been okay. But um, uh, we found out that they had... That's today. That was That's today. And we, but we found out that it's like there was no low boy for moving it. Because you need... Uh, the 32, a 32-ton excavator... Well, 27-ton excavators... 32-ton is the biggest that'll go down the road. And so a 27-ton is up there and still needs a pretty industrial-strength low boy to move it down the road. And so um, I basically it's like they couldn't get a big enough low boy to move it. Um, but um, Fred kept calling and trying to figure stuff out. And then the next thing was is like, well, maybe what we'll do is we'll take the 14-ton excavator and we'll like make a what? What are you doing? What? I was just trying to do like sound shielding. Oh, um, so we so we're in the kitchen and there's kitcheny sounds. There's things going on. It's ambiance. Yes. So, oh, so Ernie's got his food. Of course, it's got vicious fishes in it. Ernie the sailor needs his fishes. I see them. They're vicious fishes. Yes. Okay, mint cilantro chili sauce is probably worth discussing. I, I agree. <laughs> All right, that looks amazing. So it's really tasty. What we thought, we'd get the 14-ton excavator, and we would make a platform. We would create a platform that's a little ways up um, on the Wafati uh, mass, but not the part with the walls, and we would back it up with so much dirt on the backside that it wouldn't go smudge. 
and so we kind of thought we'd make a big enough, like we'd basically make a higher level area to drive to, and then we would barely be able to reach the, this part of the roof. But the excavator, uh, because last week was uh, uh, roundwood timber framing week and we needed the excavator for it, the excavator is currently at base camp. And in order to get it to um, the lab, there's like this quarter mile stretch of county road that's paved and it's metal tracks on the excavator. So we need to get something to move it. And our current means of moving it is the dump truck with our 20 ton trailer and the dump truck currently doesn't run. And so it's kind of like, all right, well, we need to hire somebody to move it, and we couldn't get that worked out. In the meantime, Fred made lots and lots and lots and lots of phone calls trying to find all kinds of different possible solutions. And then somebody said, well, we have a two-ton excavator. Wait, 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 wait. Now you just, you just jumped a step. Did I? Yeah, you jumped a step because at this point, it's like, the whole crew is going, oh, fuck, we're doomed. <laughs> right? For the for this human drama, I think that is important. Yeah, yeah. So to get the yeah. human drama in there, like, the crew that's up there actually looking at the project is going, oh, fuck, oh, my God, we're doomed. Like, we're never going to get this done in time. What can we do to get the project finished without the excavator or the oh, ability to dig it out? And so we went, like, is it really that important to get at the top of that wall? Maybe we could do some tests and see, like, maybe there's a way to just shove oh, yeah. things into it, which is what, like, six other groups have tried. So hey, if you're listening, that was fun, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> so we tried shoving so, crap in there. So they did that yesterday, shoving yeah. a bunch of stuff in from underneath, and Donkey worked really hard with like a bent stick trying to get it to go on top. And, um, and what's that weird camera you got? I've got a FLIR camera. It's like a thermal imaging camera. But it was giving us weird results. And one of them you might be interested about. the So we were seeing some, some less heat leaking where they'd worked really hard, so that was encouraging like that. But it could just be cooler because it's wet instead of, you know. So yeah. then we're looking at, okay, above that, is it still, can you still see warmth kind of behind those uh, logs of the eave? You know, there's there's a shed roof and there's logs that make up the shed roof and then there's plastic over it. And mm -hmm. so the air leaks up, it sort of runs up the plastic and warms that plastic up. And so there were, sure enough, there were stripes of warmth showing between the logs where the plastic's warmer than it should be. But then we're looking all along the thing to see if it's worse in one place than another. And then we're looking at the side of the wing wall. And then we're like all the way down here, like at four feet above the ground, on the side of the wing wall, like, what, eight, ten, twelve feet away from the building. Yeah, way away from the building. And way away from still, where it could be leaking heat from inside the building. And we're still, still seeing that dark funny heat signature. stripes behind, like there's still bright, bright warm stripes behind cool logs. So at this point I'm going shit. Like we now we have no idea what any kind of decision. And then the battery this. on the thing dies. And then the battery goes to crap. Right? <laughs> so it's possible that the cuz that's the wing wall that gets a little bit of sun. Yeah. But it's possible that we just saw evidence of the heat storage in the earthen mass behind that plastic. Right. Which should be kind of cool. Yeah. Well, that that, and that area is a little insulated. There's wool in there. So maybe it's maybe just the plastic wasn't as cold as the wood at the beginning yeah. of a damp morning too. Right. But, you know. Something anyway, so so I don't know what to think about that. And then he's got to go recharge the battery before we can try and look at it more. And so so we got a dumb pyro idea. Yeah, I heard about this. Yeah. <laughs> and we like tried. If to I was there, I would have stopped this. But go ahead. So it was too much fun. Though. We found some some things that make cool smelling smoke, like little bits of pitch and, and 
pine branches and stuff like that. And we made a little smoky fire in a metal bucket and tried to watch where the smoke would come out. It actually turned into a fairly large smoky fire in that smoke bucket. Because well, I was yeah. the one who was inside like we, the building. We with did the several b- iterations, and you didn't like the small fires, and so I left you to it. But <laughs> So I had a metal bucket, and I put a bunch of straw in it. And then lit the straw on fire so that I had a nice flame. It didn't smell nearly as good. And then as I would take, I, I took some fir boughs and I would dip the fir boughs in the flame to kind of halfway put them out and create smoke off the fir boughs. Okay. So, and then I'd pull it back in time so that the flame would sort of leap up again. And I'm trying not to dump flaming shit all over the loose straw that's all over the inside of that building. So, trying not to catch the building on fire while simultaneously smoking the place out real good. And I had a great time, by the way. It was so much fun. I I eventually went around back and opened the lower door so there was, like, a little bit of space in the building that was not full of smoke. Totally cheating. Breathing. But... I'm, you know, I'm weird that way. <sighs> well, I anyway. know Fred called me while you guys were in the middle of it <laughs> to ask me a question. And he says, oh, hold on. And then 30 seconds later, he says, yeah, there, that, the little fire got to be a really big fire, and I had to go put it out. <laughs> oh, so, that was outside. That was, that was after the outside. bucket was outside okay. sitting in a pile of gravel. So the bucket caught on so fire So the straw again finally got a chance to burn. Jeez. Anyway, you um, guys are supposed to be professional. We are professionals. That was a lot of fun. We don't have to make the fires. We well, she puts them out, but I, it's not I, my job. I find it fascinating watching the way the air was moving through that eve and the way the smoke would like like that's non-pressurized smoke. That's a lot of air movement. So what anyway. you learned was that you thought you had plugged all the holes and you hadn't plugged shit. You no, know, exactly. Deadly. So so what we confirmed is that after that conversation about digging through a lot of earth and a membrane that. It's going to be a little fiddly to put back and keep watertight. It's like, nope, that is the only way that we're going to get that top of the wall sealed between the the log members that make up that shed roof and the plastic that keeps the water off it. So you'll be gratified to know, Paul, that all this time you were right. That's right. I was right because I kept saying, that's just fiddly. Quit fucking around. Let's fix it for realsies. Yep. And And now we believe you. Okay. Plus, damn right. Plus, about damn time. So then we get back to the story of okay, yeah, this is not. It's not worth doing any more of the fiddly stuff. Nothing's happening. Sorry, there was there was drama. I wasn't listening. I was talking. Okay. Well, and and then we got and, and then Fred ran into town and got us a two-ton excavator, which I didn't even know they made a two-ton excavator. I've driven a six-ton excavator before, and I thought that was teeny tiny. But this thing, it it looks like it should say little tykes on it or something like that. It looks like something for your children to play with. Especially so, with you sitting in it. You know how usually on the excavator there's like the cab and then the elbow on the thing sticks up above the cab? On this one, the cab is its like almost like the cab is on sideways because it has to stick up like above the elbow on the bucket in order to be tall enough for a person to sit in it. Yeah, it's <laughs> pretty cute. Like not it's stand in it, sit in it. It's pretty like there's, there's a, a giant... Cab, uh, which is just a cage, really, that's sitting on top of two itty-bitty tracks and this little teeny-tiny, you know, traco elements out in front of it. And it is, it is just, it's, it's like it must be built in Japan to be a novelty item. 
I really think that we should stencil Tonka on the side before we give it back. <laughs> I, I mean, it seems like, for how tiny it is, it seems like it does a really good job. Like, I, like I noticed that the tracks extend back behind the cab a little bit, so when, yeah. that tall cab could make it top-heavy, but it looks like they compensated for that in a way that lets let, keeps you center of weight over the tracks. Although it, was rock, it rocked a couple of times I'm not saying that taking it on slopes over over certain grades is what you're supposed to do with it, but it does right. look like they... Like I think I was the... I think if any of you tried the grades that I did, I think you would have all said... You would have noped the fuck out of there. Did yeah. did we... I don't think we said yet with the microphone on that none of the rest of us are getting in it anywhere near that building because it's like... That's, it's a pretty technical piece of and, work right and there. And when we're kind of checking around to see who's got some experience with an excava- excavator, driving an excavator, it turns out that I have more experience than everybody else combined. Considering by, I got zero experience By at all. far... And and so now I'm a thoroughly mediocre excavator driver, and but I was doing things like okay, I in order to not flip over backwards on this teeny tiny excavator, um, then I have to keep my bucket way out ahead of me to be a ballast to to kind of counter the the center of gravity because if I pulled and I I could kind of feel it too if the bucket if I pulled the bucket too close to me. I could feel myself starting to tip over backwards. I think, <laughs> so, I think it might, we may be making that path a little bit shallower, like less steep, as soon as... Well, we were kind of in a rush. <laughs> we've got to get up there, and we've got to pull back that material, and yeah. then we can start rebuilding things at a much gentler slope, because it is. It's, it's too steep of a slope. Well, but you got a really nice flat pad up there to get to work on. I mean, you, right. if you get up there, you've got a really nice perch already dug to get right. started to do the rest with. Right. So that's where we finished today is is I dug a little pad, and we're gonna, we got a bunch of 2x6s we're going to lay up there to kind of give it a bigger footprint um, to, to try and um, uh, make sure that the weight is so evenly distributed that uh, we're not going to harm the building in any way. Um, but it's like, you know, it's a two-ton excavator, and I've probably already pulled out, I don't know, like eight to ten tons of dirt. So, you know, as long as I don't get the live weight too lively, then I think we'll be all right. Yeah, because there was a couple times when you stopped, like you would move the bucket and then stop it fast, and I could feel a vibration on the building itself. Okay. So, yeah, that live load thing is kind of dicey up there. Yeah. But so tomorrow I should be able to pull back this freakishly enormous amount of excess dirt that's right there. Yeah. And and then we'll uh, then and then the two of you will be able to leap in and perform surgery. Copify. <laughs> and then and then we'll be able to to put it all back in place. And then I, I hopefully uh, tomorrow we'll get Rex up there and and we can start moving large quantities of dirt because Rex can move a lot. I mean, uh, Rex is a 14-ton excavator. It moves a lot more dirt. Yeah, what met by what method if you figured out that we could move Rex up there? Oh, there's that. There's somebody who's got a low boy in the neighborhood and is gonna is gonna come by. Okay. And and um, hopefully they're going to be by on Saturday. Hopefully on Saturday, and then and then Jeremy the aunt will hopefully meet him and drive the ex- Rex out. yeah drive Rex out yeah. 
But um, in the meantime, uh, this little excavator, this teeny tiny, itty bitty, silly excavator, will be able to you know pull the stuff back, and we'll be able to uh, hopefully remove the existing umbrella entirely, and then we'll be able to reshape the umbrella shape and, into a proper shape. So using um, Rex and this tiny thing. Dominantly the tiny thing. I mean, Rex is going to be able to move a lot of material because really the slope needs to be much gentler. That means moving a lot of material closer to the uh, to the Wafati. Yeah, but that means Rex can Rex is what 17 tons. Rex is 14 tons. 14 tons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so Rex can stay on the ground and establish the sort of plinth, and then the smaller excavator is doing the work up near the building where it's a bit more delicate. Yeah, and, and there's a lot kind of, nice of dirt on top of that building still. There's way too yeah. much. Yeah, so there's I mean, way too much. I don't know how much we're going to have to move to the building from elsewhere when there's so much on top of that building that's got to come off. I think it would be good to kind of, like, let's try to take some notes on about how much dirt was up there because I kind of feel like, you know, a lot of people are kind of nervous with three feet. Because in the end, there should be a total of three feet in some spots. And it's kind of like, so a lot of people, I think, are really nervous about that. But I think what we've got is five or six feet in a lot of spots. A minimum of four feet to, like, yeah, bigger. Yeah, and in that Huge. one spot, it should be about a foot to 14 inches thick. And we are seeing four to five feet of dirt right there. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's, like, it's maybe, way too much. Maybe we can take the excavator and make some little wedding cake slices and measure the total depth in a couple of spots. Oh, that would be a good idea. That would be a good idea. Be All right, so I see Ernie's, right next to the wall. Ernie's arrived. And so I think that um, uh, what we can do is move along to um, the bashing of the batch box. <laughs> I am the defender of the batch box. And, and Thou is, shalt not Erica is pretending like she has no bias one way or another. Oh, no, I have lots of biases, but but they're, they're in my head until they come out my mouth. So, Ernie, <laughs> Ernie are you going to sit down or are you bonding with a cup of coffee over there? I will sit down and... Just a moment. Okay. Oh no, there's not. All right. So. I guess there's a little caffeine left in me. I don't. I don't have any notes on the batch box, but here, here is the number one problem in my mind with the batch box to date, and that is that somebody goes to a site and they build a quote rocket mass heater. And what it is, is that because they've heard of the batch box, then it's like, of course, they don't want to build the J2. No, they're going to build the latest and greatest whiz-bangery. So they um, build a batch box. Only They've only got two days to build a rocket mass here. So in two days, they've built as much as they could. And, of course, the only thing that's missing is the fucking door. <laughs> then... People come along and they say, this is a rocket mass heater. And the guy that built it has has gone away, but we got a rocket mass heater. So then sure enough, somebody decides that they're going to light it without a door. And then smoke pours out all over the fucking place. Then... What happens is, and and then and I think Donkey's interpretation of this is wrong, but what happens is, is these people then say, rocket mass heaters are shit, man. They smoke all over the place. You can't even fucking breathe, man. They are terrible. And Donkey's like, no, what you need to have 
is a full-time 24-7 uh, rocket mass heater expert who who stands there at no charge and points out to people, no, no, you see, this is an incomplete rocket mass heater. It's, it's like, not done yet. Okay, it's so kind of like, oh, my goodness, you've never seen a coyote, and there's some road-killed coyotes. Like, that's a fucking ugly thing. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's, like, it's like any idiot that would put gasoline in a diesel engine deserves what they get. It's like well, I replaced the engine on this vehicle with dynamite, and it's like all cars suck because they explode. Okay, so 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 let me let, let me just start from let me let me let me sure try donkey. So, See what you can do. So first things first, I gotta say that a Batchbox rocket mass heater is a finicky thing. Um, if you've never built a stove before, if you've never built a rocket mass heater before, or even a rocket stove cooker before, don't build a batch rocket. Oh, I love that. That is that is good. Because that they're is poetry. Because they're finicky. You got to get them right. You got to get the door on. You got to get all of the bits and pieces to have the right consistency. And they're difficult. It's going to be a five times bigger job. It's a big than job a, than a J tube. It's a big job. It's very exacting. Yeah. If you get it right, what you get back is going to make a J tube look almost like a joke. But no. oh yes, no. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. Everybody else okay. here disagrees. Say that again, Ernie. Ernie says no. Ernie says no. Okay, maybe a joke is too strong a word. It, but 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 it does make a a rocket J tube look small in comparison. It does that. So so the thing is is but it's finicky and you got to build it right. So if you screw up a little bit, you're going to get smoke in your face. But if you if you get it right, you're going to be a very very happy camper. You got to get it right. You got to get it right. And then you can you can be the only user of that rocket mass heater. That's not because true. if that's, anybody that's else comes along and wants to use it and they don't get taught how to use it, they're going to look at it and say, "Well, I know how to light a fire. I'm going to do a great job." And then if it doesn't go the way they expect, they're like, Rocket Mass Hitters suck! Okay, well, a couple of days ago, we had some folks here going to take a tour. Yeah. And um, we had one of them light the rocket, the, 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 the batch rocket mass heater that I built in your red cabin. How okay. much training did that guy require to get that thing lit? So that was the second rocket mass heater that he has lit while on the tour. He lit another one the previous day. Okay, was it a batch rocket or was it a J tube? I don't even remember which one he lit before. Probably a J tube. Yeah. Um, so the amount of training I gave him was like two minutes. Light it at the back, engage the port first, now go. Yeah. And there was not a whiff of smoke. Not a whiff of smoke. He got it right the first time. I thought I saw smoke coming out the front. No, that was after he walked away and I was screwing with it. Okay, all right. So there was smoke. There was one puff of smoke because I did something dumb. Because you were fucking with it. Yeah. Okay. Um, But, like... An an expert. The the guy who built it, an expert in rocket mass heaters, and it it had smoke at the front. You know how many people think they know how to use a regular old metal box box stove. You got people who have been using metal box stoves for 20 years that still smoke out the house with the silly things. Right. And I made it go, huh. Yeah. Right. Right. And and we're going to complain about this. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. All right. 
So you're right. You're right. It, there was a puff of smoke, which I think is is a lot. I he mean, said, he, did you hear what this man just said? What? You're right. I thought you were gonna, <laughs> I thought you were gonna beat me down here. I'm not. Have, I'm not so fighting very. I don't have to fight very smoke. hard. And and it's true. Make uh, me fight for this. With conventional wood stoves, uh, a, a lot of them. I would say more than half. Um, with every burn, they they get more smoke pouring at the front of their conventional wood stove than you had out of the cyclone and conventional rocket mass and heater. conventional fireplaces and I mean every stove you've ever seen in your life, every jerky who's owned it for yeah. 20 years still has it smoking out the front. Yeah. And like my folks, my parents' stove, which was an old right-way stove. That would, when you open the front door, if you didn't open it gently, would backdraft into your face. A column of smoke would blast mm. out of fire. It would blast out of that thing. And uh, I don't think I ever opened the box and didn't have it smoke back on me or backdraft and flame back at me. Okay. I've been hearing from folks working in states where they require outside combustion air that that sometimes makes it worse. It adds weird eddies and things. So, so even a stove that's being given the latest bells and whistles to try to stop that, it's sometimes just one of those things. Yeah, um, it, it's like those new gas cans with the safety thing on it. Have you seen like that? How many fingers I have do I need now? <laughs> more gasoline with those stupid safety caps than I ever did with just a pour spout. All right. Sorry. So uh, we were talking about how Batchbox sucks so much. Except so, you're not making me fight for this. So mm-hmm. so my concern with Batchboxes is, because I mostly have worked with J-Tubes. I've only built a few Batchboxes, and some of them were more like scale models than anything else. Um, I show people the J-Style, and they're really excited about seeing fire do something they've never seen it do before and they're really excited about how little wood it takes and they're really excited about the big comfy hot butt warming bench and then we have the conversation with the person who didn't come to the workshop about but with the wood stove like what about the whole fire tv thing like i like staring at the fire at night like you know can you make one with like big glass door that you can stare at the fire and um i like being able to just load it the way I normally load it. There's a lot of things like like people end up kind of saying I like what I'm used to and I like the relationship with fire that I'm used to with my wood stove or my fireplace insert or whatever. And so a lot of people are attracted to the batch box not because it's cleaner, not because they actually need to burn more wood. They don't necessarily want to chop more wood but because it looks and feels a little bit more like the fireplace or the wood stove that they're used to. And it has that comfort factor for everybody, whether they're the one that went to the workshop or not, whether they learned about it or not. And so, therefore, when somebody meets one of these things for the first time, you meet a J-Style, and you're like, huh, what's this? Can you tell me about it? (laughs) And, And you meet a batch box, and it's like, cool, fireplace. And they open it up, and they shove a whole bunch of wood in there, and they light it from the front. And 
They shut the door. And totally and, and so you've got wood sticking into the port, or possibly people chipping pieces off the port if they're shoving, trying to shove wood in. You've got the thing maybe too full or not full enough. It's not primed. Um, there's wood in the blocking the air feed, and there's two very precise air feeds that need to feed in a certain amount of air to make it burn clean. And so if you, if it looks like a wood stove, and it feels like a wood stove, then it smells like a wood stove and puts out creosote like a wood stove. Because if you fill that port with wood and you fill the box too full, then you get a really dirty burn and it'll gunk up all those pipes. And the whole thing with mass heaters in general is you need a nice clean fire. So otherwise you put all that smoke through a set of chambers like that, you've got a creosote distiller and you're going to make a worse mess than you would with a regular wood stove. I completely agree. So because it looks and feels familiar, people are more inclined to throw a fit when you try to give them the directions for how to run it because it does have a very precise way it needs to be run. And my response is, a diesel vehicle and a gasoline vehicle look the same. But you don't <laughs> put gasoline in a diesel truck. Or and, else. Or else. And you learn that. Well, and Ernest's well, family doesn't put uh, gasoline engines in boats anymore because they learned that. Four learn, generations ago, and they that. ain't forgot. You learn that the first time you blow an engine the fuck up because you didn't learn it by just reading the little label on the sticker. Or your great grandfather is spread all over the harbor. Yeah, one or the other. <laughs> so, so yeah, and that's all true actually, and that's you know that's where we get into our conversation earlier of training and Sorry. learning. So if people aren't willing to learn. <laughs> then they get what's coming to them. So let's let's talk about the 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 one that's down in the classroom right now, which is the shop. That's the one that was created by Peter Vandenberg, and that's the first eight-inch system that he ever created. And Peter's kind of he's our numbers guy. No, no, that is the second eight-inch system he ever created. It's the first one that he personally built. That he personally built. Yes, he had a he had a a student that was working on an eight-inch that he was kind of consulting on. Yep. All right. So it is the first eight-inch system that he ever built, and and he kind of adopted the bench that was already there from a previous project. And and so it's like, um, uh, and then the, well, the, the key is, a very important thing is, it was built by Peter, who who is, um, you know, clearly one of our bestest experts in rocket mass heater stuff. However, I think that one of our lessons is, is that they operate wonderfully when Peter operates them. And, uh, yeah, you guys, okay, there's lots of snickering going <laughs> yeah. on. Well, they, they operate, um, like, out of this world magni- magnificently when Peter's operating them. Like, I think he had a, a sustained run where for, like, the middle... 75%. You know, 75% of the run, he's, like, down in the 6 to 12 parts per billion range. Right. And and most people are really, really happy when their stove gets into the hundreds instead of thousands. Well, any one of us can run it that way, too, with a little practice. And the Probably, but, I, and I, yeah, I'm just saying, like, for a stove that was the first one he'd built to that scale to run and, like, with less carbon monoxide than a candle would put out, like, it was, it was a really amazing prototype. 
Right. Which he measured with a testo. Yeah. He had it he had it here and, and it had zero parts per million of carbon monoxide for like seventy five percent of the burn. I think that's it was six only, to twelve feet. Yeah, that's to zero. It's only because the machine it gets below the point that the machine can now measure. Sure. And then it says zero, but it's not really zero. Okay. But the important thing is, is that it's like it was measuring a number that's lower than any other fire burn and also lower than uh, natural gas yeah. does yeah. by far. Can we say and the most efficient wood stove on the planet? Planet. It, so planet. It, it was it was amazing. And then in the meantime, after Peter goes, every time anybody goes to start the thing. I'm coming down to the shop, and the shop is full of smoke. See, I don't... And, un- wait, wait, yeah, wait! Yeah. I come down to the shop, the shop is full of smoke, and then I tell everybody, you got to open up the big shop doors, and then the back doors, and all the doors, and run all the fans, and clear all the smoke out of here. And it's like, but it's just starting to get warm. I don't care if it's warm. It's smoky in here, and that's a violation of our standards. Having it be smoky in here is not okay. Wood smoke is 100 times more carcinogenic than tobacco smoke. <laughs> and so it's like, so then basically the fire's going, but I have them uh, um, clear all that heat out along with all the smoke. Okay, Ernie, what is the dumb And then you smoke? come and look for me and tell me about my filthy habit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't have any problems lighting that stove. I don't understand how everybody smokes the place out. It's always been forgiving to me. Well, the other day, well, the other day okay. I created a little smoke because there was it, it was really cold and there was a downward draft right. and we had a plug and I didn't do the slow thing. I didn't do the like goose it a little bit gently before throwing the fire in there because I was a Mr. Confident world to make this work, you know, duh. So I'd, I'd like to explicitly describe the slow thing. For any listeners who may be fantasizing about wood heat but maybe haven't, like, sat in the house with it yet, um, every wood stove, fireplace, masonry, heater, anything that has a chimney and you put a fire in it, and the idea is you want the smoke to go out the house through the chimney, the st- step one is to prime the chimney. Or the way I was taught is, like, check and see if the chimney is primed by lighting a little twist of newspaper, put it wherever in the firebox you can get closest to the chimney in a fireplace you just put it right up in the back and um, and if the smoke from that little piece of paper goes up good it's working go ahead and light your fire if it doesn't well maybe you got to check the damper or whatever the process of lighting a couple pieces of newspaper gets the chimney primed and it also helps you find out if you got your damper set right and all those other things that you can have tricks to any stove if you don't like even the amount of smoke that a piece of newspaper puts out and you don't even want to risk that that's going to backdraft into your house, you can do the same thing with a candle. Just put a tea light in, like in our rocket stove, if we come back from a winter vacation, we can put a tea light in there for 15 minutes. You, you know, put it in a little tuna fish can, you pull it back toward you. If the flame is shooting sideways, you know you got the draft going. Mm-hmm. You know, So for any stove, check the draft, by which I mean establish a draft. <laughs> And uh, once you've got it running and you think you're golden and it's just like, this stove is no problem for me. I'm such a good stove 
burning person because I can check the draft and it was working and then my fire's working. Okay, that's great. You and the stove are like, got your thing going. Now go outside, check the chimney. If the chimney is putting out a clear or, or pure white exhaust, congratulations, you and your stove are on the same page. If the chimney is putting out blue, black, yellow, or any other color of smoke, then you need to go talk to your stove a little bit and find out what it needs. And so some, like some people will damp them down way too far at the beginning and they'll put out a big noxious cloud of smoke and there's other problems you can have, but maybe you're burning wet wood. But check the draft and then go outside and let the smoke tell you whether you're right about being right. So that's, and you can do those two steps on any stove and you'll get, you'll, you'll accelerate your pace toward actually being a good safe fire operator. And for the vertical exhaust, you can also a lot of times, you know, put your candle in there if it's the first fire of the year or if if you think that there might be a possibility of a cold plug or something like that. I mean, yes. Yeah, if, you, know, if your you chimney's know. drafting downward because it's so much colder than the house, yeah. you can you can put some heat in there too if yeah. you need to. But um, you can also wait till it's actually cold outside. So when Donkey was trying to light that thing the other day, I was being Mr. And it was Cavalier like, and not bothering to check it, was, it. It was blowing a fuck ton of smoke in his face, and he's <laughs> like, ah, ah, ah. That's then not I, what I was doing. <laughs> he was totally doing that. <laughs> so then uh, I got the. You were giving me a hard time. I got that. And my like, ah, ah, was about you. I got the little propane torch. Hey, I'm trying to give him some advice here. So I went, I went and got the propane torch, and I think all four of us have done this at one time or another. Oh yeah. Got the little propane torch, and I went over to the vertical exhaust because it's always single wall, because that's what we use. We use single wall. And um, and then I just started warming it with the propane torch. Single wall. Hell, that's not even chimney pipe. So. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I want to share one more rule of thumb from growing up around four children with the wood stoves, which is my mother's rule, which makes for family harmony. Oh. <laughs> which is, if you want to start the stove, that's good. But the person that starts the fire, that's their fire. And they're the person that gets to fuck around with the fire. She didn't say fuck, but <laughs> they're the person that gets to mess around with the fire and get it going and so on. Um if you if it didn't occur to you to light the stove, you don't get to be the one that goes in there and messes with the fire. Hmm. So, you know, not bad. When you're old enough to th- realize the stove needs to be lit, you come and ask mom, "Can I light the fire?" Sure, that's your fire. And when you're done with your fire, you know, you let it go out or whatever. Somebody else can have their fire tomorrow. And if the fire sucks, it's your fault. Exactly. You 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 know you get a chance to work with it. And so when you I mean because as adults you're just making funny noises when somebody's like giving you harassment while you're working on a fire but as kids there were some more significant risks of misbehavior if somebody's messing with what you're trying to figure out so let's let's talk real quick about how to properly light a batch box rocket mass heater (laughs) a a batch box rocket mass heater a batch box rocket mass heater all right so first of all you want you towards the back there's these this slot in the back and that's that goes to the riser. We call that a port. Yes, it's the port to the riser, and and so what you're gonna do is is you got to get a bunch of paper, maybe a little bit of kindling, and you're gonna have a fire that's like right up next to it, a small fire. Well, first you do what Eric with what Erica said. Get a little twist of paper, or maybe even a tea light, and check your draft and or slash make it. 
<laughs> by putting your little twist of paper, light it on fire, and stick it right inside that port even, and get some flow going up your heat riser. Okay, the port's a little narrow, but That's yeah, good. you could. But you you, could, all you need is a little twist of paper. A little twist of paper, you could do that. And all right, no cola in it. So maybe the thing to do is going to be all right. So so first of all, the normal way that you're gonna you're gonna light a batch box rocket mass heater is that you're going to put a bunch of paper and maybe some kindling up back towards the port. Yes. This slot. You start a little fire just in front of the port. Right. Right next to it. I lean it into it because I'm making a tiny fire. And so it's like, so you're going to put it right back there, and you're going to let it burn for, you got to get at least two minutes of fire going before you start to do anything else. Yeah, two or three minutes. Okay. Then you need to, to load it up with the wood. So you're probably even going to put some more paper, like, on the floor of the of the rock mess here. Maybe a little I more don't candy. have more paper at that point. I Because I like to cut my kindling into little matchsticks. I did use the word maybe. Okay. Box, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I like to, to light all of my rocket mass heaters. I, I make little tiny little matchsticks okay. out of my wood. I make little tiny matchstick kindlings. You could actually See, light... I told you. What did I, you tell me? This is just what you... keep complaining you, about my kindling. Yeah, because you just love to take a pocket knife and whittle up. Like, here's a stick. I'm going to whittle it up. And that's what I do. Sawdust. I take a piece now of here and the donkey does up. the same stupid fucking thing. I, I got to tell you, I'm starting to do it too. What? I went. I just learned to use a chainsaw. I cut up some old half-rotten cedar fence posts. I like, oh wow, and I split it down practically into shakes, and I brought it in and started whittling little matchsticks out of it for the kindling box. It's like I'm a big girl now. And it's <laughs> okay. <laughs> And it works I a charm. Am, I am lazier than the three of you. It works a charm. It's, it, it smells good. It's okay. like it smells so much better. Batch box. Anyway. Batch box. The rules for lighting a batch box. So you got the fire going. You've been running for two or three minutes. A little teeny tiny fire towards the back. Then you're going to start loading it up with whatever the fuck you want to load it up with. Okay? And, and But here's the important thing. It's got to be an inch away from the port in the back. At least, yeah. There's got to, yeah, at least, at least an inch of space. But what people do is they start jamming all the wood up all the way to the back, and it plugs the port. Yep. Yep. The other thing is is that you need an inch at least over the top of the wood. At least, oh, it's like two or three. Yeah, I think more than an inch is probably wise. And you need an at least an inch of space at the front. Yes. And so it's like, but but most people, they don't know this. They think it's like a conventional wood stove, and they, they fuck it all up. And it just makes a fucking disaster. But now, when Peter runs his own stove... Or when any one of us does. Magnificently. Well, you got it to smoke back. I watched you. That was a lot of smoke. The other thing is, it was warmed up. It was all warmed up. And the very next day, I was down there, and somebody wanted to see it lit. So I guided them... And they did everything correctly, and we were like trying to keep that door closed every moment. They chowdered. Every moment, because every time you'd open the door for anything, there's a bunch of smoke pouring out the front of the damn thing. And it's like, I do not, because of course I'm spoiled. Because Ernie and Erica built the one in the library, which I used for two years, and Ernie and Erica built the one in here. And whiny, because if it doesn't 
work exactly right the way you think it should work the first time, you complain and say, it sucks, and it doesn't suck. <laughs> These two J-tube systems don't suck. Well, I know a few that do. <clears throat> These two don't, don't suck. suck. Okay. I, I'm going to take that as a compliment. Yeah. Um, so... With the J-tube, you can fiddle with the wood. It's not necessarily a good idea to fiddle with it constantly, but you can fiddle with the wood and get it going. And with a fireplace, you can do that. And with a lot of wood stoves, you can do that. Yeah. Um, my sense with the batch box is once you're beyond the I have one piece of paper I've lit in my hand stage of warming up the um, heat riser, that you really are lighting a small kindling fire, letting it burn to warm things up, but you got the door shut. They're, the door contains one of the air intakes, and the size of the air intakes is so critical. Uh, because remember, you've got this big batch of wood that's generating wood gas, and then it's going through a tiny little restricted port into a tiny, relatively tiny heat riser. So you might have something that's um, that's got several cubic feet of wood gas in it. It's all feeding through a six-inch pipe. And so there's a lot of wood gas in it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, even you can you can build a six-inch. It's, it's over a cubic foot. Firebox size right, yeah, is totally, prob- totally. probably two. I think you could get two cubic feet in there. Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. So anyway, there's a lot of wood gas, and that's why it's a batch box. Is you fill it up with wood at the right temperature, shut the door, and it burns as a batch. And you don't open the door until that batch burns down to coals, and you write a load another batch of wood. That's what batch box refers to. Um, so if people want <clears throat> to light a little fire. Like like you know like like you do with Boy Scouts to keep them busy, where everybody brings one stick and every five minutes somebody else is putting a stick on the fire. Um, Get a conventional it's not, wood stove. It's That's not the way they you run. you want a fireplace or a fire pit for that kind of fire maintaining. Mm-hmm. Um, or rocket J J. I mean you can kind of do that with a J two, but it, even then you're going to build yeah. up so much coal and you're going to shove the thing full of coals and chuck it. Yeah, that's true. You, you want know? to burn all the way down, um, burn the coals before you really load it again. So, like, the only time I'm fiddling with it is if I got kindling burning really fast, and I've and I haven't preloaded my firebox because I kind of want to make sure the kindling takes. Then I'll load the rest of that first batch of wood in, but then I, you know, I'll adjust the air intake and let it burn because these stoves are designed to burn that load of wood at their own pace, at the perfect pace that lets them burn clean. Yeah. They're not designed to have, you know, some monkey in there every three minutes grinding the charcoal up finer. So, um, yeah, it's fun. I mean, we're fire monkeys, and we like grinding charcoal up into little glowing pieces and making sparks. It's like it's really cool, but that's not the way these stoves are. These stoves are not designed to satisfy that Boy Scout instinct. These stoves are designed to do a job, which is to produce a clean, efficient heat. Okay, so I listed some very specific directions in how to start a batch box system and how to get it to operate correctly. Did I fuck it up in any way? Is there any detail that I left out? I have it right. I would I would say two inches. What I remember Peter saying was two inches on all sides of the load of wood. Two inches above, two inches between the wood and the end wall where the port is, and two inches between the front, the door, and the ends of the wood. And so you might have a, say, a, a 16-inch box length, which means you're going to be getting 12-inch wood. 
put in there and that's a that's like not intuitive for most people right. who have like stick wood on the diagonal into their wood stove so I have fit. noticed that the wood that you got is a little bit long for that stove so to get it in there and have that space you kind of got to stick it in a little bit catty corner we we what happened was is that we um, at one point in time um, I uh, I had some people that were here some booths that were here and before the jamboree last year it's like Okay, let's put up two cords of wood. Um, I figured three people, even though they're brand new at it, three people, two cords of wood, you know, a day and a half. I mean, I'm not, sorry, not a day and a half, uh, three quarters of a day for three people. Because because no, I'm used to, like, one person can put up two cords of wood in a, in a day, but that's a person who knows what the hell they're doing. So what happened was is that after two days, uh, they had put up a face cord, so a third of a cord of wood, three people. And I'm like, okay, this is this is way too slow. This is So I decided that what I would do is buy wood. So we, uh, I actually bought wood. I, I you know, called up a local guy who delivered a bunch of wood, and the stuff he delivered, instead of it being 16 inches, it was like 20 inches long. And and it was a bitch to split, mm-hmm. and um, so now we've got a few. We've almost burned through all of this weird twenty-inch stuff, but the normal size is fifteen to sixteen inches. That's a that's a normal size mm-hmm. for for firewood. Which is about right for that batch rocket. So yeah, I think that that batch rocket is a good twenty inches deep, um, and so it takes wood. You know, you lay it in that particular way. All right, but the the key is is that most people that are used to operating a conventional wood stove will load it wrong, and we've got an expression here about Gilligan's. And so, uh, well, um, hold on, let's the part of the loading it wrong is also that they try to treat it like the box stove that they're used to, which means that every 20 minutes. 15 to 20 minutes, they're opening the door and putting another log on it. Right? Yeah, so they're that trying is, to find the air control to stop it all down. Right. So that is that is one of the other things is that, and I, I this is the way I, I got my dad to put a rocket mass heater in his house. Okay? Is I told him, put a piece of paper by your chair, and every time you get up to put wood in the stove, mark it down. And then I had him go up to our house while we were gone, and I said, every time you get up off the couch to go put go put wood in the stove, mark it down. And what he showed is he gets up every 15 minutes to put wood in the stove in a box stove. And that is the habit that people get, right? 15, 20 minutes, they're up, they're throwing a log on the fire, they go on get their Pepsi, okay? Hmm. Rocket mass heater, hours at least, at, at our house, it's almost two hours like an hour and a half burn to burn it to burn it down to where you put more wood in it well okay but you're doing a weird thing you're the odd duck out of all of us no one no one loads a rocket mass heater like you do where it's like oh the fire's going good and there's coals in the bottom somehow i have whittled up a stick that will perfectly fit 
inside the wood feed, and I'll get this one log <laughs> to slip down it. And Eric is making this face like, oh, do I do I maintain my marriage or do I tell the truth? I just like you. Know, there, sometimes you do find a, a log that just fits exactly in the, the little square hole. It's round round peg in a square hole, and it's got little, you Which know. Is usually and, not the recommended way of feeding. No, but when you got all the bricks real hot and and they can oh, yeah. feed off itself, then um. You know, I had, there was one where we just left that log burning and went to bed and come back and find, like, a tiny little piece of charcoal that would fit in a three-year-old's pocket. And that was the right, only thing it was like. It's just like this thing will burn one method. log on its own coal. But that's not how we normally run it. Um, normally what happens is uh, I load it with kindling and and then put the wood in to fill out that batch. And maybe 15, 20 minutes later, I put it in the first load of big wood. Um, and then I go it's work on the computer. An hour or so. And um, about 45 minutes later, like a, this little feeling in the back of my ear, like the fire has changed pace. It's probably done with the, the big flame part, and it's getting down to where we could probably fit more wood in at this point. And then I go back to whatever I was doing on the computer. And then about three hours later, I'm like, oh, I was running a fire, wasn't I? I guess it's out now. <laughs> so, so every hour and a half or so is how often you would need to load it to just keep it going and for me that seems to exceed my attention span <laughs> I, okay, I think so, that the kindling so like, goes in for me the kindling goes in and then uh, it's about 10 minutes later that the kindling's pretty much gone and it's ready to take on the big boy wood mm-hmm. and so then I put the bigger sticks in and then it seems to me like it's 20 to 30 minutes later that I remember that I got a fire going and I check on it, and I can add some more wood. And then um, when it gets to be about an hour and a half that it's been burning total, that's when I tend to forget that I had a fire going at all, and then whatever was in there goes out. And then I then then I go out and I look at it, and it's like, oh yeah, that is dead. And then I move the bricks over it, and and the end. And then it's like two more days until I even need a fire again. Yeah, yeah it depends on which stove I'm running. In my place, I've got a, I've got like, I don't know how many ba- rocket mass heaters. If I'm using the water heater for my shower house, after the kindling's done, it's about, because this thing rips through wood, it's about 20 minutes per load, three loads, and the water's boiling. So that you can take a shower. Um, if, or just this side of boiling, so you can take a shower. You should know that my... Uh, water heater is a non-boom squish water heater. It's very particular type that um, Tim Barker created first, and then I donkeyfied it. So it's my non-boom squish donkeyfied Tim Barker hot water rocket mass hot water heater. It's very cool. Anyway, although I, I heard it, it doesn't boom squish, but occasionally splish. Well, I, the, the the buffer water tank had rusted through, and it was held by a very, 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 very thin, thin piece of metal. Nobody told me this. Yeah. This is new. And so, and so I said to my good friend, my very good lady friend, how would you like a bath? And she said, I love a bath. And I said, great. Well, here, I'll start it for you. And I went out and started it, and then I went and made dinner, and I come back 20 minutes later to feed it with wood, and there's water coming out of the foundation of my building. <laughs> so I said, how'd you like a shower instead? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> 
So yeah, there's a real thing, I guess, that rusted through the tank. Yeah. No, Tim commented on it. The kind of tanks that are most easy to get here are enameled steel tanks, and so the minute you try to put any extra pipes or fittings in it, it started to rust. Uh, like you've started the clock ticking on that yeah. tank will die. Yeah, and it's a copper coil inside and, of a steel tank, and man, yeah. electrolysis like crazy. Yeah. What I want is so, a copper tank. Out yeah, there. which is what Tim said. They have a lot more of those in the scrapyards in Australia, and, and he's like spent three or four days looking for one before he finally redesigned what he built for you or here because he, like like he knew if he cut holes in it it was going to be a pile a of mess. crap by the time yeah. he came back so he yeah. had to, they had to do something else that he could do with the holes that already were I mean I was take. really careful to make sure that the copper didn't touch anywhere and that any through fittings are brass and I did all those right things it's just that when you put water in and you have steel and you have copper and you have water and you have heat. I mean, it probably it would probably generate electricity and I could charge some batteries off of it, you know. <laughs> but it's also rusting completely through the steel. Anyway, so 20 minutes for that stove and the one in my house because it's the great grandfather to what is now called a batch rocket. Um, I load that thing up. I could put. Goodness, I could put maybe 20 or 30 pounds of wood in it. Which is a full night's Which is, yeah, so I load it twice. I load it twice in a night. So the first thing, I get the kindling going, I load it up. It's not the most efficient. It's not the most skookum chucher. Remember, it is the the great-grandfather of a batch rocket. Yes. Okay, but it's cool. Yeah. So anyway, so 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 I load it twice, so maybe every t- I give it two hours, and then I shove what's still burning forward all the way underneath the riser and add, fill it up again. Use doesn't have a port. It's it's like it way way, way prior to port. Doesn't have a port, and if you looked at the inside and the way the guts work, you'd be like, "What the fuck did you do, donkey? This is insane." And yeah, you'd be right, and because I'm actually feeding it through the the ash drop mm-hmm. from the back, where it was meant to run. See, when I built it, the only instructions there were was the tin can rocket. Yeah. Okay. So I built a gigantic tin can rocket out of like castable refractory and cob and stuff. So it's an eight inch tin can rocket. <laughs> Okay. Meant to be run from one the side. Grin. You're not seeing the evil grin, but yes. Yeah, yeah, I have this evil, crazy look on my face because it was a lot of fun to build. The first stove I ever made, and it happened to run really well. And, you know, but it's just evil. It's, it's like I've heard of this thing that you can make with coffee cans, and it mines the size of Alaska. <laughs> That's exactly, exactly what it is. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could stuff like a whole tree up the thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, what yeah, you're doing? Like, and then you go outside and look at the chimney with a tree burning in it, and there's no smoke coming out. Right. Right. But I'm also dumping a lot of weight. I, anyway, this is going too long. But um, so that yeah, I stoke it twice, and it's two or three hours between stokings. And then there's the one in that little cob building that I actually live in now because I moved out of that house into a little cob building and the little cob building I don't know I give it I'm feeding it basically thumb sized sticks because I go out into the woods and pull down a bunch of manzanita sticks just twig break breakage and I refeed it every 15 or so 
So we burn 28 pounds of wood a night, uh, right? In the dead of winter, 80 below zero outside, we burn 28. 80 below. Did you say yes, it was 80 below no. two winters ago. Yes, it was. It was 30 below briefly. It was 30 below two and a half times. <laughs> <laughs> and I just. <laughs> stand here up way more often than I am in the wee hours no. of the night, but I need you to take a photograph of the thermometer if this is actually happening. I'm when, kind of dad calls me, when Dad calls me at 3.30 in the morning because his because Mikey has just called him because Mikey's pipes froze four feet in the ground before ours did, and he looks out at the thermometer and he, and he says, I can't see any red! <laughs> Um, Clearly, I wasn't awake for this one. Okay. So anyway, when it's we don't have weather like that consistently. No, we don't. And there are places that do, and I don't want to be misleading. So okay, thirty below. Guys, still cold enough. Anybody, you're gonna walk outside. If you walk outside naked, why don't you come outside? (laughs) You know, you're you're gonna freeze to death. But we burn 28 pounds of wood a night. That's a That's lot. That's it. Well, 28 pounds seems like a lot to me. It's, it's, that's, no, it's that one wood that's carrier. That's my that one blue wood carrier, and we don't usually burn all of it. But 28 pounds a night is what I bring into the house. So first, my stove's not that efficient. No, it dumps a that. lot of heat up the chimney. My house is not very efficient. Right. I did. It's the first house I've ever built, and I did everything you could do wrong, wrong. Of course. And my family likes to be warmer than I do, uh-huh. so they want it hot and I'm sweating and running outside to cool off every so often. Mm-hmm. So, you know, put all these things together and you get burning way more wood in my space than you would burn in your space even though you live in a colder climate than I do. I, I got that. <laughs> Considering that you and I have no problem with a Rumford fireplace in the open when it's raining. Totally. I, I, I get this. But what I'm saying is that uh, uh, so Donkey's got a first generation tin can stove, tin can stove, rocket stove. Erica and I have rocket mass heater. Rocket mass heater. Yeah, you gotta stop fucking saying rocket stove when you mean rocket mass heater. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. <clears throat> if you took a tin can rocket cook stove and upscaled it, and tried to invent the rocket mass heater from whole cloth, that's what I did. I get to. I think rocket stove might be appropriate. Did we ever introduce no, you to the, the other? I mean, it, it is a mass heater. It's bloody heavy, actually. But yeah, um, when when people build things that like they take three or four different sets of plans, at least two of which have the word rocket in them, and then they build something completely different, and then they put it together, <laughs> and then they say, "Look at my rocket stove," or "Look at my rocket mass heater," and like like the people who've in this row out sometimes kind of twitch and they're like, "Do I have to?" Um, the the pet phrase that we came up with for like like if it's if there might be some debate about whether it was actually a rocket mass heater that you built. Um, Did you guys debated this? No, not not yours. Oh, okay. Not yours. Yours are kind of grandfathered in, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, you know, somebody sticks a batch box front without a door on something that's like 
scaled for a J-tube, and then they, like, take, you know, like, crawl pipes off like spiders in different directions with different slopes. And, oh, yeah, that's crap. You know, and so uh, so we ended up, like, along with Boom Squish, we started talking about freak shows of Flaming Death. <laughs> it's just like, just, like, put that on your YouTube video. It's going to have a much better chance of going viral anyway. And then we don't have the confusion about a rocket mass heater that's actually built to some kind of known parameters versus something that's really an experimental hybrid that might be going in some yeah, other direction. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's something that everybody should hear like loud and clear. Beware of instant experts on YouTube. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jeez. And, and it's like a lot of these things, you see them building the rocket mass heater, and you never see them talk about using it. In fact, there was one that Ernie was looking at, and it was like this guy was like, oh, I hate rocket mass heaters. And then Ernie was saying, you didn't build a rocket mass heater. You built a freak show of flaming death. And w- would you please stop calling it a rocket mass heater? Yep. Yep. <clears throat> All right. Uh, sorry, you have to use things like, oh, I don't know, insulation. Yeah. Would be yeah. good. <laughs> and the like, insulated oh. heat riser. No, you can have the discussion all day long about how well it works if you don't put insulation around the heat riser. Raw, raw, raw. For about a half an hour, it'll work great. And then it won't work at all. It will not burn clean. But you're going to get the video of it looking great for that first half hour. And then you right. can post that yeah. shit and say you're an instant expert on YouTube. And then the little SOBs never oh. post anything else no because follow-up. they've either burned their eyebrows off or they figured out that it doesn't work. No follow-up. And what I get on our website is they come over and they start asking me how to build a rocket mass heater via email. Okay? They want to pay your consulting fee, right? That's what they want. They're like, Ernie, will you please take my money and consult me privately? That that would be marvelous if they actually offered that. What they want is they want free crumbs so that they can go back on YouTube and become an instant expert at something else because their expertise just came out of my mouth into their ears, maybe if they listen to me. So I'm so glad you people have a name and recognition and they all know who you are. So, <laughs> so Well, there's, there's another thing here, too, you know, when we're talking about this. What they'll do is they'll talk to me on email and then they say, well, Ernie said it goes this way and I didn't say anything like that. Yeah. The monstrosity yeah. That, that just got taken out of Allerton Abbey was built with well-meaning expert advice from almost all of the experts who came to the the last jamboree. Um, It's just that each of them thought that they were giving advice about a particular system and (laughs) didn't realize that their advice was going to be added to the advice of the other three people who were giving advice about different particular systems, so it ended up having... You know, well, it's like those flip, so, so like those flip books where you as described by six blind men. Yes. You, or where you flip the elephant's head over, and now you've got an elephant with a tiger head, and then you flip a butt, and now you've got a zebra tail, and it's like mm-hmm. you make new creatures. Yeah. So the guy that built that, uh, it was his first ever build, oh. and he decided to add in every whiz bangery thing he ever invented all at once, and it was a mess. He and it. and so I, I want to say I think that the P channel 
is an amazing and awesome thing in 8% of the rocket mass heaters that have a P channel in them. And so Ernie's nodding his head. Donkey's nodding his head. Erica's drinking juice, I think. It's cider. Um, it's it has cider. cinnamon okay. in it. Okay. That's, that's the thing you, that's you making it. You nod that. your head and make it <laughs> unanimous. <laughs> um, a P channel is the perfect thing for 8% of the rocket mass heaters which contain a P channel. That sentence contains more information than I can personally verify. Okay, it's all like, right. So I possibly okay. <clears throat> I think a P a channel a P channel done properly works in every case. A P channel done poorly doesn't. So I mean, sitting right over there is a rocket mass heater, which might be one of the best, if not the best, performing rocket mass heaters ever. It's a J-tube system. It does not have a P-channel. It does not have a guillotine at the ceiling. It does not have a tripwire. It does... It does have a tripwire. It just does not have a deliberate tripwire like people were doing it. This is one of those things that Donkey and I talked about. I have a habit of turning a brick. And I've had this habit forever. Where I will automatically kind of can't the second break in the burn tunnel yeah. so that there's an edge. It does it. And I do it totally unconsciously. So in there, where the second brick is in the puppy burner, it's got a lip, just like P-channel, just like the tripwire. The tripwire, not the P-channel. Right, just like the tripwire. But it's not something like... It was a surprise to me. Everybody was talking about the tripwire, and Donkey and I were talking about it. I'm like... And I went over and checked the stove, and sure enough, that second brick... I just, for some reason, have always laid it so that the edge of the brick sticks down a little bit into the burn into the burn tunnel. I'm going, Ernie, why don't you lay your brick straight? Right. I mean, <laughs> I mean that just looks crappy. <laughs> gonna be Somebody's going to crawl inside there <laughs> and see it. Well, God will see it. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but <laughs> I never thought to call it anything. I didn't even. It's just something that I just. I unconsciously did. It's it's sort of like, I mean, his hands know things about fluid flow. That's kind of like you pet your dog and you scratch behind the ears, but you pet the rest of it this way. Yeah. You know, and like you, eventually your fingers know where your dog's got a cowlick, and you like scratch here and you pet there, and that's just how you do it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so All right. so yeah, Ernie tends to do that for like fire and water and fish. Yeah. So this one does have something that could be called a tripwire. Right, it's essentially the same structure. And it's always the second brick. And it's always the se- yeah, it's always the second brick. But, and I and it's not something I deliberately do, so it's not a it's not a conscious thing. I mean, this one does not have it consciously put in there, and you're right on that. But as far as any of the rocket stoves, I honestly gotta say that I have never seen another rocket stove that performs this way. This thing's pretty special. It's pretty good. So so are we going to say pretty good or are we going to say best? I don't know about best. There might be one that I haven't seen. Okay. Best yeah. as far as we know. Pretty damn good. It's pretty damn good. Yeah. I mean, I know it's it's very forgiving, and, and we designed it to be Gilligan resistant. Yes, we did. This podcast is continued in part two. Don't forget, go out to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.